sort of the difference where one we believe the finished work of Jesus on the cross, while the Catholics trying to work their way into God's graces. So what the Bible says, if these things have been written, then you may know that you have eternal life. If he was to die, right? Where would you go? Oh, I don't know. But keep talking, because I'm listening. I want to hear what you have to share. So, was a captive audience, because he was driving our car onto base. He's like some high-ranking high official in the military. So he took us in. It was a beautiful night. Got to witness over there. Love about it. Ended up, was a, I thought it was a Christian thing, but it was a secular wedding. I mean, okay. So we got to do some Christian wulong and some, you know. Okay. And in the end, sometimes we were family, you know. I was like, hey, let me pay me about me. He said, Frank, really? How do you pay? <laughs> so I was like, one of the easiest things. So in the end, I got to talk to the guy on the way back. And so we exchanged numbers and he said he wanted. He lives in Pacatillo, close to us. So Ruby talks, I went to invite us up to his house, talk started with me and his wife and whatnot. So pray for him. His name is Arnie. And that the Lord, like, because he was, he was receiving. He never, like, be deceived anymore. So that was good. And we had some unreal things, right, coming down the pipe, you know, as far as politics, you know, killing one infant baby after they're born is just unbelievable. I mean, it seems like we're back in Sodom and Gomorrah and just back in the days of Moloch forever. But the Lord said that like, the last days will be like this, right? So we look up for our redemption, draw us near, but we look out to see and be a voice for those who don't have a voice and to bring people into the flock of God. So that is good. Anything else today? John, do Or you just, um, Passing the law for a nanny state where um, the state, the, the government has the right to come in. We have a child born at two months and they can force vaccinate your child and then they want you as a child and if they, can, they can take your child away if they feel that you're unfit to be a parent. Wow. And if they pass that in Oregon, we're next. We're next. Yeah. They say they thought the Holocaust was bad, right? But we were worse than the Holocaust. We killed over, what, 60 million babies since the broken wave? And then now we're going into killing live babies? You know, it's unbelievable. And then you can, you can, two days before the baby's born? Yeah. So, either way. But, save the owls and don't smash the turtle eating, right? Exactly. You're going to get thrown into jail. Don't be saving the Caterpillars, the trees, but these precious babies are just being thrown on the wayside. But when does life begin, right? Those two, the sperm and the egg, are alive every day. Meat, so it's always alive. It's never dead. It's always alive. And it says, right, while you're in your mother's womb, my you and I knew you. Right? I had an intimate knowledge of you. And that's why I remember we studied about the indifferent gonads, right? Gonads. <laughs> we studied about that. So for the first, what, 12 weeks, only other nine knows the, the sex of the baby. And from nine to 12 weeks, then one of those gonads changes in the female gonad. Resembling gonad. Gonadding. 
tonight we will be looking at uh, Genesis 21. We just go straight into that. It's best out of Sarah did for Sarah 
as he had promised. So he has foreordained and prearranged all the dynamics for this particular um, occurrence. He is the only promise maker who is an actual promise keeper. He is able to carry out everything he says that he will do, and it will come to pass. Now this particular promise was promised in Genesis 17 and 18, because they laughed, you know? Sarah and Abraham, they laughed and said, you guys gonna have a baby. But one thing you must remember through scripture is that Elohim will always be faithful to his word. Verse two, it says, Vatahal vatelet Sarah Abraham ben Iskunah. It says, so Sarah conceived this is what she's been wanting to do for the past, I cannot say 90 years, because she's 90 years old, so maybe from 80, maybe 80 years, 70 years, never happened. But Yehovah had prepared her womb for such a time as this. What was the precedence for this? Why did Yehovah just open the womb of her, of Salah's womb? Just before this, in Genesis 20, he had shut the wounds of all the women in the house of Avimelech. Remember, Avimelech means my father, the king. So Avimelech took Sarah because both Sarah and Abraham lied to him. They said, that's my brother and that's my sister. So come to find out, when you read the text, it shows that for 25 years now, they've been telling people that this is my brother and this is my sister so that Abraham would not get killed, right? Remember they said they had uh, their morality as far as adultery was concerned. They didn't want to commit adultery. But murder, they was okay with it. So they would murder the husband and take the wife and wouldn't be committing adultery. And they felt that they were righteous. And that's what Abimelech said. I'm righteous before you, Lord. You saw your prophet. That's the first time the word prophet was used in Genesis 20. He says, your prophet said, and that's his sister. And then his wife said that was his brother. But they're just liars. So just before this occurs, the Lord opens the wounds of the women of the house of Abimelech. So he prepared her circumstances. What else did he prepare? She was in his harem. She was in Abimelech's harem. And you know, he was waiting to get to her. But the Lord said he uh, prevented her from going, prevented him from going into her and thereby killing off everything in Gerar. So he stopped that. And he also made sure that Abraham was alive and able to copulate with her. Now this is what, he was what, 99 years old and she was 89 when they had this baby. So this guy, I don't know why he ate all his souls. I don't know. But he's still viral and strong. And after um, she dies, after Sarah dies, he'll sire like six more sons of his next wife, Keturah. And he says, and bore a son. So finally, Sarah, after 90 years of life, and 25 years from Jehovah's first promise to them, did this particular miracle occur. But you know how important this is? If it wasn't for Yitzhak being born, Yeshua wouldn't have been born. So the whole line would have been stopped if Abimelech had actually killed 
Abraham. And it says, he bore a son to Abraham in his old age. So Abraham is 100 years old today, <laughs> according to this passage at this time. And he goes on to say, the next word is, La Moed. Anybody recognize that word, Moed? At the appointed time. So at the exact appointed time, Elohim had made this happen. This is the same word that is used of the feasts, the Moedim, the feast of Yehovah, where each feast occurs at the exact appointed time in a sequential order. So you remember Kepha or Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, he saw the Lord, he saw Moshe and Eliyahu Hanabi, all of them there standing. But he thought in his mind it was Sukkot. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. And what the Feast of Tabernacles means is that the Messianic Kingdom will be established. So he wanted to inaugurate the Messianic Kingdom at that, that time because those three prominent men in biblical history were there on the mount. So he was correct in thinking that where the king is, his kingdom is also. But what he failed to see was that in order to celebrate Sukkot, you must first celebrate the fulfillment of Pesach. Now what is Pesach? It's the killing of the lamb, right? The baby lamb has to be sacrificed. Yeshua is still alive. So his mentality is a little off. Because of the Lamoitin, everything has to be according to its time. So in order to have um, Sukkot, we need to have Pesach, unleavened bread, first fruits, and then Shavuot. All that has to occur. And still, what are we waiting for? Those have been fulfilled already, Yeshua's first coming. So we're waiting for the rapture, which will be fulfilled by Rosh Hashanah. And then Yom Kippur will fulfill what, son? The Great Tribulation. And then, after all of that is fulfilled, then we can build our sukkah and enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. So it goes on to say, Asher libel oto Elohim, of which God has spoken to him. So exactly one year from Genesis 18, verse 14, did Yehovah's promise of a child come to pass. It says in Genesis 18, 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? No, right? Nothing's difficult. Even for us, right? He says, now that we're in the Lord, we can do all things. Through Christ, who strengthens us. So it says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. At this time, next year, Salah would have a son. So he was pretty precise. This was the appointed time, the Lamo Verse 3 it says, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, which is Yitzhak. And everybody knows what Yitzhak means, right? It means crying, right? What does it mean? It means laughter, right? Laugh. What does it mean? Oh, it means laughter, or he will laugh. So he will laugh. We'll see what, what that means. 
Now the rabbis say that through Isaac, Messiah will bring laughter to all of Israel instead of pain in this age. So they believe that um, Olam Hazeh in this age versus Olam Hafad in age to come, through um, Isaac, Messiah will bring laughter to all of Israel. In verse 4, he goes on to say that Abraham circumcised his own son Yitzhak when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now again, the eight days, this was even before the law, right? So eight days, we found out scientifically, the vitamin K, the anti, I mean, what is that? Blood clotting agent is strong in men. Now remember at the time when um, Yehovah told Abraham everybody got to be circumcised? And Abraham just says circumcised himself? Now that guy is he's tough. Amen. <laughs> and he, now he does it to his son as was commanded. And Abraham was 100 years old. So Abraham is one century old. Now, if you look at, you know, numerology, it's pretty interesting. The one way of adding the numeric value of the letters that we use in America and whatnot, Yitzhak adds up to what? 100. Yeah. So they use our lettering system. So Y is like this. We have, what, 26 letters? So this is how they do it in, in, the, in the states. So Yitzhak and all that disease, 26. So he comes up to 100. But this type of numerology would not be used in the Bible. So in the Bible, the type of numerology that we're going to use is found in the Hebrew words and in the Hebrew scriptures. Now the rabbis teach in the Parshah, in their weekly teachings, or is understood as a simple understanding of Torah. They give an explanation of the word, the name Yitzhak. So this is the uh, This is the Hebrew alphabet. How many of you have learned at least some of the alphabet? So you're pretty familiar with that. Now, as far as the the American alphabet, the A is one, so they correspond as they ascend. This so they just follow the ascending from one to nine, and then it goes to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and then they go 100, 200, 300, and 400. So unlike the American way where the A is one, B is two, C is three, it's the same up to the uh, nine, and then it goes up to 10, all the way to 90. So you got the next one? So this is it's now. So this is, the words that they're going to add up, these letters make up this word, Yitzchak. So they don't have a vowel pointer. So if you read the straight Hebrew, they don't have no dots or anything. They just have to, without the dots, be able to phonetically sound out the word. But this is Yitzchak. So you see that smallest letter? That's the Yod in the pink side. Go to the next one. So the Yod is the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the value is ten. So we got ten for Yid, 
What the rabbi teaches about this ten, it represents the ten tests of Abraham. And it culminates in the next chapter in Genesis 22 with the test of the Ha'akedah Yitzah, the Akedah, you know when the binding, the binding of Isaac will be the final test of Abraham. So the number ten represents, is what the rabbis teach, represents the ten tests of Abraham. The next letter is the Sadi. This is the 18th letter of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the Sadi equals 90. So, so far we have what? 100. So 90, what does 90 represent? Anybody remember? How old is Sarah at this point? 90. Yeah, interesting how the rabbis, they look at this, that this represents 90. The next number, the next letter is the Chet. Chet is the eighth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's eight. What does the eight represent? The rabbis teach that the eight represents the first Jew to be circumcised on the eighth day. And the eighth day is a new beginning, a new start. So seven is complete perfect, but the eight is complete start. So this guy made a new thing happen, that now this lineage from Yitzhak to Yaakov all the way to Yeshua has started a new thing, the new lineage. Now you guys should get this next one. This next one is pretty easy. This is the Kof, or some say Kof. This is the 19th letter of the alphabet, and its value is 100. What does the 100 represent? Hmm? Anybody else? No? So Sarah was 90. Abraham. Oh, you did? Who's age? Abraham. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. That's how the rabbis teach. So it's pretty interesting how they, you know, they put all this, I mean, they put some, they put some thought into it. It's interesting and it's kind of intriguing. And a lot of times the rabbis are very fanciful or imaginative in their display of their theology. But in this one, uh, what's pretty cool. So this, you got that answer? So the Hebrew numeric value of letters, this will be used when calculating the number of the Antichrist. This system, not the American system, but this system. And when you add up his name, his name will add up to what? What's the number? Six, 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 six. So Yitzhak could not be the Antichrist because his value was 208. So it was way off base. So I kind of did minus. David is Dalit is four, Bob is six, that's ten, and Dalit again, that's fourteen. But then my last name, the Talit, is four hundred, 
the man is 40, and the lapin is 30. So 470 plus 14 is 484. Guess what? I'm not the end. <laughs> Some of you are thinking that. Some of you are thinking that. I'm not the Antichrist. But they have this, it's called Gematria. It's really Kabbalistic, but sometimes they lend some interesting insights to the Word of God. So, verse 6 it says, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. That's nature. And she said, who would have had said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his own name. So Sarah herself is both astonished and in awe of this unbelievable series of events. So she's captured by a king, let go, and God talks to her. She becomes a pie, and now she gives birth and is nursing a child. So what she is saying is that I guarantee you, anyone who hears about my husband and I at our age, 90 and 100, <laughs> have children. It's a great blessing and everybody will definitely laugh with us and not at us. Because up to this point, Hagar or Hagar, Ishmael, which is Ishmael, she was always mocking her, and she had this mean streak towards Sarah because being barren in that culture was like the worst, worse than leprosy. I think. Do you know how old she was? Who? Nobody knows. But you know, they picked her up while they were in Egypt. So we're going to see now why Hagar and Ishmael were expelled from the midst of this family. Uh, this is going to be a very uh, important uh, biblical insight. And if you get this, you will walk solid for the rest of the time you are there. So verse 8, the, ch the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So little ones during that time were weaned between three and five years old. So they were like toddlers, little older than Sarah's class. And this would make Ishmael, some say a young adult, between 18 and 21. Others say still a boy between 13 and 17. Whatever camp you're in, we're going to see, I would choose a little, a younger one. Parties. I like Hawaii. What kind of parties do we have here? 
First, baby Lua. And you know, everybody, they go crazy. They go broke, actually. So we had the one big baby luau. And then, you know, you have a small little happy birthday, you know, and a little five dollars or McDonald's. Until you reach like 16, right? And the girl goes, sweet 16. And then when you reach 18, you get your birthday party and graduation party put together. If you're January, you graduate, you have it together. So this culture, they were being on the feast from three to five years of age. So here's the first baby luau. What is one thing interesting about a baby luau? The baby doesn't know what's going on. It doesn't care. I just thought it must be, you know, I don't, I don't know how do you remember, even me or anybody. You remember me? don't know. So, what is the baby do all for? You are the parents. For the parents. I felt like, we lasted one year. So, what do you think this feast is about? So yeah, so, so weaning is, I don't know if the baby stops drinking, it's not sa satisfied, or does the well dry up? Does the milk dry up? I don't know, it could be one or two or both. So when both things happen, so the babies at, at some point, like even, like even not walk, right? We go from the milk, and you will need some solid food along the way. If you're like nine years old and still sucking out that milk, you're like, ah, something is wrong. So, I think in the scripture, it shows that Abraham is enjoying the party because now that baby is out of here. He can go play and he can have some private time with Bobby. I'm trying to party. This kid is out of here. So here's Sarah now, she's going to turn against Hagar. Verse 9, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. So he, he could have said, Now Sarah saw Ishmael, but they didn't. <laughs> it reads, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, the one we picked up from Egypt, the slave woman, whom she had born to Abraham. And they saw him mocking. So Sarah is saying that this slave from Mitzrayim, from Egypt that we picked up, Hagar, has passed down her contempt for me to her son. So you know how a fruit don't fall too far from the tree. This is what Sarah is seeing. The name of the son was not important at this point, but his action and attitude was important, of which was Mocking. So Yitzhak means laughter, and mocking is mensechet. They have the same root, the same storage. So they mean the same thing, but for mocking is an intensified laughter with an intent to shame and belittle. Anybody did that in high school? Anybody bullying people? Michael? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. I was guilty of that. John's laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I remember John, we were seeing Mrs. Chewy's health class. And I thought I was a bad guy and then Jay Edgerton. So that guy, he is mean. He always bullies everybody and he takes our money and like I felt bad. Because I was like pointed out now, yeah. And from that day forward, I tried to do it in secret. Not where <laughs> But I felt bad. I think that was like seven or eight grade and I just felt bad. I was like, I didn't want to do that, but Anyway, you poor, what you gonna do? <laughs> you hungry, what you gonna do? So here, there's an adult, if you believe he's 18 to 21, or this teenager, with a learned trait of his mother abusing and using it on a toddler. So these two words, again, have the same root. So it's a play on words, and um, it says here, Ishmael, is Yitzhakim, Yitzhak. So he's using his name to mock the name. So laughter, in an intensified form, is like, not you being dirty, and just laughing <coughs> to belittle someone. So the rabbis teach that Ishmael was saying to Isaac that just because you sacrifice one piece of your foreskin, it doesn't mean anything. And that's why, again, Right after this, in Genesis 22, we come again to the binding of it, Isaac. And Isaac said, I wouldn't mind, I would give my whole life for the Lord. Another rabbi said that, Rabbi Levi said that Ishmael shot an arrow at Isaac, because the scripture says that he became a very good um, Oldsman. So the, the picture is, while everyone is enjoying and celebrating and people playing music everybody's happy for the baby is one knucklehead harassing and ridiculing this little kid if anybody saw a teenager or a young adult harassing a little kid what you guys would do who cracks a little so Sarah can't take it anymore of the mocking because it was she was being mocked by the mother and now the son is being mocked by the mother's son and her son. So once and for all they must leave. Verse 10 says, Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son, Yitzhak. So Ishmael, according to the law that day, could be an heir to uh, the inheritance of Abraham. And then verse 11 says, The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Why would that? Why would he be distressed? This was his first son. The father of nations had one son. Right? Not from his wife, but from his handmaid. So for more than 13 years, he had this son. And of course, like any parent, he would be hurt. Verse 12 says, But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed, because the lad and your maid Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. Oh, how's that? He got, he got, right there, boom. Listen to her, for through Isaac, your descendants shall be made. What he's saying is do what your wife says. So even though we're the head, sometimes we have to right? <laughs> be the tail, right? Rosh Pasof, right? Sometimes you're the head, sometimes you're the tail, the tail and the head. So one major biblical lesson 
is that sin will always separate itself from holiness. So when you're trying to get holy or trying to uh, live closer with the Lord, you rise up as a cream. But once you're stuck in sin, you become residue and you're stuck in the fire. So we're going to look at the separation from holiness and the evil one. So Satan, who was he separated from? God. God and heaven, right? Because of his sin. What about Adam and Eve? The garden, right? They got... They can't go into the garden, so yeah. it separates, right? And God judges and separates. <laughs> what about Cain and Abel? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One killed them, they really yeah. separated. What about Noah? Yeah. The world and Noah <laughs> separated because of sin. Now, what about Lot and Abraham? What happened with Lot and Abraham? Why, 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 did, why did they separate? The herdsmen, both of their herdsmen were fighting because they never had enough land. Yeah? And um, Abraham being more faith and faithful and strong, he didn't pick whatever land you want. And you could take the good one, I didn't take the ugly one because I had faith in God. And that's what happened. That's, that's the exact same thing Abimelech had told Abraham. And uh, pick whatever land you like, go live. So what about um, Sodom? What did Sodom separate from? They separated from Lot, right? So Sodom was totally turned over. Who else was stuck in Sodom? Lot's two daughters and their two husbands. They were separated from Lot and they passed away. Who else was separated from Lot after they were running away? His wife. The wife. Kai. <laughs> yeah, we call her Kai in Hawaii. So, whatever you like on me first, call it Pakai. Even in the Bible, Yeshua, he talks about the wheats being separated from the tares. Anybody know anything else? Sheep from the goats. So, the sin always separates. It even separates weak believers from mature believers. Sometimes the weak believers, they cannot find themselves to go and seek help or whatever so they actually separate themselves from believers so the thing about sin is it will separate and in the end Yeshua will separate the sheep and the goats and he will take the sheep into his kingdom and the goats will be left in uh, eternal damnation in the lake of fire so sin always separates verse 13 and of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. And what became of his lineage was the Arabs, right? And this Ishmael, he said he would be against everybody, and everybody against him. Verse 14 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, listening to the Lord and his wife, and took bread and a skin of water, and gave him, and gave him to Hathar putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Beersheba is sort of a wilderness. It's right on the edge of the Negev desert to the west. So Abraham gave Shakar these provisions. Now these provisions would be enough for anybody to get to the next town or the next desert 
Olympics civilization yeah, in the next people. But the problem was, what happened? She got lost on the way. She wandered about. Remember the wilderness wandering where they wandered for 40 years? And if you look at the track, they like look at a circle. You know, and, uh, when they got taken out of Egypt, they were wandering in a circle, almost in the same area. So I guess over there is pretty easy to get lost. So she became lost and in the verse 15, it says, when the water in the skin was deep up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. So that word boy is like, I get it, the boy. And that is not a man. So he could be, maybe he might be 17, 18 maybe, at this point. Now last week we had the picture of the, the wine skins. Yeah. Because that was a, it was like a deer, you know what? All the inside is a deer, and they would tie the two legs together, and then you would wear it like a backpack. Yeah. And they, that's the only thing Lot and his two daughters had was wine. Yeah. There. So what they do is they load that up, and you walk around, and when you run out, you run out. So that's that's a lot of water. But it ran out. The water was all gone, and at that point, she put the sun in the bushes and then she went walked to the other side opposite him about a bow shot away <laughs> so you, you see how he, they bring in that archery um, words for she said do not let me see the boy die and she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept so God hears us, but at one point we have to want to hear what the Lord has to say. Because she's wondering, she could say, I don't know where I'm going. It's kind of like, you know, you watch TV, the man is always like, I lost. <laughs> but he don't like get direction. Like, this has to be like that. No, I got this. Same thing. So men and women have that problem. We get lost. And it says, God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And that is none other than our pre-incarnate Yeshua. And he said, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. So this guy is uh, almost dead, dying. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be a great nation, though? Really? He looks like he's almost dead. In fact, if I didn't lift him up, he'd probably be dead right now. So lift the lad up by the hand, for I'll make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness, and became an archer. See? That's what a rabbi did. Look at the scriptures. They are different from us, yeah? So they say he was shooting, I don't know if it was a Nerf arrows at little, little Isaac, you know, I don't know if Nerf was around, but oh, sticks. But what about um, napkin balls? <laughs> so he said he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So he ended up marrying one of the old Mitzvahim. 
So God is always faithful. So even if we all go through some hard times, He said we're going to have troubles in this world. That's common to everybody. But take heed. I have overcome this world. So no matter what you're going through, I, I beat you. Okay? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Those three things, everybody has it. And Yeshua was tempted in those exact areas, but he did not sin. And when we sin, it separates. So when we see people who don't know the Lord, they are separated. Their sin separates them. But we as believers are called to be ministers and evangelize one-on-one. We need evangelize thousands of people. What about one? Anybody can do one in one month at least? Try. Because sin separates and it'll be an eternal separation. So even for people who are who are mean to people that I know, whatever, there's still a love for those people. Let's pray and let's um, focus on the Lord and as we partake of the Holy Cup. Abhi Jusubasha Maim, we just thank you so much. Adonai, Adonai, Yumanabir Sikha. You, Lord, our Lord. And great and excellent is your name in all you. From the past, Lord, to today, you are eternal and you are very, very interested in all the details of every one of our lives. So, Lord, let us live a life that is open to you and that is mindful to you, Lord, about you, about you being about us and in us. Let us not lose sight of that. Let us not blow our witness for uh, lifting up of our pride and lifting up of our flesh, Lord, which is not becoming of you. Let us be great representatives of you, ambassadors, Lord, you call us. You call us priests, Lord. So we ask that we might live up accordingly to your call in Yeshua. In his name and in his power we pray. And we all say, Amen. Those needs, well, let's not go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening that we can Lord, approach you and seek your wisdom and your hand of blessing and your hand of healing. Lord, we lift up our nephew to Allah to you. Well, it's a pretty hard fall he took Lord, to his head, Lord, Lord road rash. We ask that you watch over him, Lord, and comfort him and take care of him. Comfort the family, Lord, my sister-in-law and her husband and the rest of the Mohan and I'm feeling kind of uh, anxious right now. Give him your peace that it passes all understanding. We pray for Leah and Kaibina. Kaibina, the vertigo. It's interesting how vertigo is sort of rampant today. I don't know what it is, we ask for your healing and touch in their lives. And we pray for Kevin and we pray for the funeral tomorrow. That all there might hear their message of salvation, of a substitutionary death for their sins. Prepare them. But we need you in our lives and we need your continued direction daily. 
show us and give us the faith that we need to grow in the knowledge and the grace of you. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayer in Yeshua's name. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Wow, look at that. We pray and the Allah shows up. Last week we started the um, the Akedah, the narrative of the binding of Yitzhak. The story of the Akedah, the binding of Yitzhak, is central to Judaism and Jewish theology. It is read at every uh, prayer service, at all the high holy days, and in fact it is highlighted during Rosh Hashanah. And the main idea is called Misirat Nefesh. Misirat Nefesh means self-sacrifice. Or true sacrifice, or what we will see here is a willing sacrifice. 
And this will be displayed by Isaac and ultimately who? Yeshua himself. He was a willing sacrifice. I remember uh, Jackie was saying, uh, who killed Yeshua, right, last week? It was me, it was da da da, it was, yeah, everybody, everybody, us, and then the Father, right? But it pleased the Father, right? But ultimately, it was Yeshua. He was willing, he was a willing sacrifice. He was a miserat nefesh. His soul, his spirit was willing. So let's just review last week. We saw the offering of um, Yitzhak. And we looked at Beersheba, where he came from, and there were the seven, um, the seven new lands, which made a pact with Abimelech. And then he planted a, a tree by the well, and we also saw last week that there were seven wells in Beersheba, and Sheba means seven. So there are seven new lands, there were seven wells, and it's the, um, the number of completion. Oh yeah, this is the tree, and we said it's uh, that uh, that well is about 230, 50 feet long. It's like a 20 star building in there. And this would be the first Jewish settlement. And it said that God had tested Abraham. And then we found out that Abraham, in the name of Yitzchak, that the number 10 for Yud was the 10 that the rabbi said was a 10 test that Abraham would partake in. And it was also said by Rambam that 10 tests were given. So we're here, we're gonna look tonight at the, when he actually places his son upon the altar. Will he pass that test tonight? We're gonna see. The thing about Abraham, is he was a soldier. Anybody know what a soldier is? You have no um, civil rights in any country. You've given up, he's given up his family from the Arab countries and they all moved up to Haran. And he waited until his dad passed away, Terah. And then he left. So 25 years had passed, but he gave up his family rights as a idol worshiper and he gave up his civil rights. So we as American citizens, when we travel, you know, we need a passport. But what does that passport give us? It gives us civil rights in other countries. Yeah, so if they see that, oh, I see that blues, that blue book. <laughs> and now we're accepted, we're given the same rights as if we were at home. In fact, in some areas, we have better rights than the people there. So he is giving up his rights, and at some point, he'll be asked to give up his lineage. So he's giving up everything in his mind. So he was given that, give to me your son. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. So every time, with every phrase the Lord was telling him what to do, his heart was being penetrated by a big, uh, I would say a spike, like what Yeshua had. And then he told him to go to the land of Moriah, and there you shall give the Le'olah, which is an offering, 
a sacrificial offering. And in his mind, he's wondering, wow, I love to worship you, Lord, but are you really going to ask me to worship you in this manner? It's a pretty horrible scene, but this, this scene, this particular mountain will be the exact same spot where God will make a scene of himself, a spectacle of himself, and whoever looks upon him shall receive salvation. And what we talked about is, Abraham at this point must carry out this uh, sacrifice deliberately in a composed state of mind, worshipfully. And this reminded us of the attitude that Yeshua had during his trial and crucifixion. And then they, they reached, they traveled for two days. On the third day, they're about four to eight miles away, probably just be between uh, Bethlehem and Jerusalem is about two miles, so somewhere just before Bethlehem. He looks up and he sees Moriah. He could have been going at a fast pace, but he actually took his time getting there. I think I would have done the same thing, pondering what's going to happen. He got the wood, carrying all the wood, got it ready, probably didn't have any sleep that night, the first time when they left, and they shoveled off. When they reached to the base of Mount Moriah, or somewhere close, he tells the men, these two men, who are servants of his, to stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship, and together we will return. So why would he leave these two guys behind? The Lord made him leave those two guys behind because their faith wasn't ready. Imagine if he was about to sacrifice his son and those two guys stopped him from doing that. The Lord's work would not be accomplished. So Abe, he separates himself so he can worship the Father in truth. So they would stop Abraham's expression of obedience if they were to interfere. And he did with confidence say, we both will return. So he believed in the resurrection power of Yehovah because of his covenantal promise and guarantee to um, Abraham that he would have a seed son. And it says, Abraham, he took this burnt offering and laid it on his son. So he carried all the lumber, all the wood, exactly what Yeshua did. And this is a precursor of what is going to come for Yeshua. Isaac realized something when they left home. He told his father, Lord, I, Father, I see the fire and the wood, but where is this burnt offering? Where is it? We've passed all these cities, Rehoboth, Sitna, Hebron, Salem, and now we're here in Moriah, and we still have no sacrifice. And now, um, Abraham said in 22 verse 8, God will provide himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. So both of them went together to the place to build the altar. This passage is a strong passage to say that God himself provided that ram in the thicket, but God himself would provide that ultimate sacrifice on this exact spot that we're upon right now. 
And then he goes on to say, they came to the place where God had told them. They built the altar together. They raised the wood, they bought, and he bound up his son Isaac. Now Isaac was younger than he was and stronger than he was. So is this a display of Misirah and Fesh? A willing sacrifice or a true sacrifice? This is an exhibition of a true sacrifice. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So now we come to verse 11. This is where we left off last week. What happened was God put Abraham, was going to put Abraham to this final test. Not because he wasn't sure what Abraham would do. God is omniscient, right? God is all knowing. He will test Abraham because the process that Abraham has been going through will be incomplete unless Abraham takes his test. How many of you remember taking tests in school? From elementary to intermediate, high school, college, even just in life. We learn and we're tested to see if we understand the material that we study. And the test isn't a downer on you or anybody, it's just on your ability to uh, retain information. And with that information, how are you going to act? Right? You can act any way you want. And then we advance to each successive level from elementary. Remember, you should always have every week spelling tests, 10 words every week through all elementary, every week spelling tests. And I love the spelling tests. Because <laughs> then I'll learn how to spell. And I'll learn how to read the words, not how they're uh, said, but how they're spelled. And one of the words that always brought to mind was Wednesday. Right? So in my head, I always think Wednesday. And that's how I remember it how to spell Wednesday. Right? So we advance in each uh, successive level. This is our spiritual one, right? How do we start off? We start off as babes in Christ. We drink the milk, do a little, uh, you know, small little teaching, small little understanding. And as we pass each test, each trial, we can grow to our adolescent stage in our walk. But we can now eat milk and cereal, right? We can add cereal to the milk. Little, little harder, not, not hard, but just, you know, little uh, adding more sustenance to the milk, more body. And then we move on to maturity, where we are able to stomach solid food. And poi. Oh, poi. You can poi is all the way. Yeah, kalo. Oh, yeah, you can go kalo. You don't eat smash them up. I remember uh, we were in Israel with an Australian guy. And he told me he ate poi before. He came to Hawaii, he ate poi, and I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, how do you like it? Oh, didn't like it. I was like, wow. I said, you know, I tried Vegemite, you know. <laughs> really? I didn't like it. <laughs> but I thought, you know what is the true test if it's good or not? If we give it to our babies and if they eat it or not. So I said, did you give your baby point? Yes, I did. You were in Hawaii. Like, oh, yeah, I ate it. What about Vegemite? Oh, I ate it. <laughs> so I, I, I'm just saying that poi is better than this. Oh, it tastes horrible. 
it's almost like burnt molasses. It's, it's like a, so if you get all vegetables and all of the junk part goes to the bottom and you scrape that off, and that's what they need. Vegemite. Oh man. The only time I heard of Vegemite was that song. Uh, huh? Oh yeah, Vegemite and Sandwich, yeah. The Land Down Under, whatever, something like that. So we move through those stages of um, maturity, whether in life or even in our spiritual life. But what it is, is God shapes those who chose Him. So the chosen God shapes. And if we look it up, dictionary defines shaping as setting oneself to perform a particular task. So this shape, I can only do certain things. If you let me run the, the 100 yard sprint, and you know what I mean, 10 seconds, I wasn't made for that particular <laughs> task. <laughs> I'm made for other tasks. What was Abraham chosen for? He was chosen by God to perform a special task. What was that? Fathering a great nation through which the Savior of the world will be born. But first, God had to mold his servant into the right shape. How many of you heard of um, Hell Week? Yeah. You know Hell Week? Navy Seals. Navy Seals. So they go through basic training, like baby steps, and then they, they become this. And now they can go on to like graduate level training. It's just two weeks, and they call it Hell Week. Because it's a brutally difficult task and test that each of these candidates must complete during that two-week period. Now, each of the candidates, they sleep at most four hours. Some say during the whole two weeks, but I'm thinking like four hours a night. But I remember I see sometimes the training goes on through the night, through the next day. They must run more than 200 miles, physical training, more than 20 hours a day. And if you fail that test, you will be disqualified. How many candidates go to the Navy and how many graduate like only three of them? I think a very small percentage, because they go in 100%, maybe like 5%. situations no matter whether they are in sea air land I mean I know I watch hell week sometimes and you know my brother-in-law is a he's an african-american he just cannot swim he'll never try to swim he'll just stay in the shower 
But in these uh, instances here, they run out into high surf and, you know, they, as a team, you know, kind of stuff, and it's hard. So in order to be elite in the military, you have to go through this full training. But if you stop, you will not be up to par. Same with us. Sometimes we can feel that God is unfair when we face our own hell week or hell month or hell years or people go through a lot, depending on the individual. But we learn from the life of Abraham that tests are a part of the process which God uses to shape us into the man or woman that he desires. So verse 11 says, And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, He named me. Here I am. Now what we're going to see is the promise of the sacrificial death was abated or stopped. The sting of death was going to be removed at this time for Yitzhak and Abraham, just as it's going to be for all who trust in Yeshua. So the taste of death is not in our uh, DNA. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So maybe the, phys the physicality will be lost, but our mentality, our mental state will always be with the Lord. Verse 12 says, Do not stretch out your hand against the land, and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What is the Lord saying? I see how your faith in me has solidified your walk and trust in me. So from the time he left Haran, he was lying, up until he came all the way down to Saddam, he beat out the, the five kings. He ended up rescues Lot. And he becomes a high-ranking official in public life, wherever he is. His status rose to actually losing prince um, in the further chapters in Genesis. And this is the work of God. Now, Abraham had limited um, instructions from God. He had like two definite instructions. Leave your house and your family and kill your son. Those two directives were straightforward. So God comes on the scene, gives him a lot of uh, revelation, and then he's, he tapers off his revelation as he as the son of the new generation. So with Yitzhak, he has Saul, and then Yaakov, and then with Joseph, he has no revelation, just dreams. Let me speak face to face with yourself. So it's just like whenever Yeshua comes on the scene, there's a ramped up activity of miracles, a ramped up activity of demonic um, action. If you look in the Bible, Yeshua's first coming, heavy demonic activity because they're trying to thwart God's plan of bringing the Messiah forth. When is there going to be a lot of demonic activity again? According to the Bible, the second coming before Yeshua returns, again a boatload of chaos. chaos. It's going to be hell on earth, right? That seven year on earth will be hell years. Is that going to be hell week? 
to be hell hears, to be like hell on earth. So Abraham went to being a liar, uh, left of faith due to somebody who just could stand fast in God and believe everything the Lord said and carry out the task. Verse 13 says, Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his scars. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. So the Lord provided the ram here, a sacrifice, and he will provide the ram himself again in the years to come. Yeshua too was caught in the thicket of the garden. He was in the garden. And the, uh, and the Roman armies came and took him. And he had thorns, he was caught. And they put these thorns upon his head, which penetrated his hair and scalp. This was a substitute sacrifice, which was a foreshadow of what would befall Allah, Messiah, Yeshua. Verse 14 says, Ba'icha Abraham shem hamakom ha'u. Abraham called the name of that place Yahweh, you, the Lord will provide. And he says, Asher Yamer Hayom, as it is said to this day, from this is written, Bahar Yahweh Yireh, in the mouth of the Lord, it will be provided. So at the time of this writing, even into the future, this place was called the Lord will provide. Eventually, the Lord actually provides himself as that willing substitute, uh, substitute sacrifice. The Lord tells Moshe, asher I shall become whatever you want me to be. I will be your all in all. Trust in me. Give me your full and complete trust. Then the angel of the Lord took Abraham a second time from heaven. Now we all know who the angel of the Lord is, right? It's the pre-incarnate Yeshua. Okay? He's the second person of the Godhead. And what he's going to do now is start to reaffirm those covenantal promises that were made to Abraham. Verse 16 says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, driving home the point that he was a son and an only son. Bringing back the picture of Yeshua being the son and only son. And he says in verse 17, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. So in this context, the stars and the sand are synonymous for many, right? But to this point, how many children did he have? Two, right? One of the flesh that he kicked out, and one of the promise that is in his midst. Now you, you see how Yitzhak was so willing to give his life and trust in his dad. Same thing, like the Lord said, we must be like little children in our trusting of the Lord. Because as we get older, we lose that um, a childlike faith. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So 
So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. So from this point on, the narrative will be switching from Abraham to Isaac. But before Isaac is um, looked at, there'll be a time where we're going to look at Sarah's death. And there's going to be to Yitzhak's family, and then Yaakov, and then Yosef, in the book of Genesis. So this portion will transition us to Yitzhak and how he got his wife. Where did his wife come from? So verse 20 says, Now it came about after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah. What does Milcah mean? Milcah is the feminine form of Menech, or king. So this is queen. So Milcah, queen, has also born children to your brother, Nahor. Nahor is what they would probably have called me when I was, uh, I don't know what grade. But we went to Canada to play music at Disney from Hawaii in Canada. And then during the like the Hossi elections or we had the, the last day party, everybody could talk how fun they had and at least three people said, Man, that day we can snore, man. <laughs> so the teacher said that as we were flying over um, you know California, it wasn't the San Andreas fault. It was David, so on the third. And the thing they said was like major um, turbulence. And I slept through the whole thing and everybody and I'm like, So sometimes the core is good, right? But don't leave your children there, okay? And then verse 21 gives us the, the firstborn, his woods. His firstborn means consultation. And then Boz. His brother, this is the original Boz right here. And Kemuel. Kemuel means raised of God, who was the father of Aram. And then verse 22, Kesed. Now, this is not the grace Kesed, but this is a, a head. So it's not the, the grace, but it's a word that nobody knows. And Chazo. Chazo means seer. Nobody knows what Pildash means. But Jidlaf means tearful. And then Betuel means destroyed of God. Yeah? Destroyed of God. So Betuel became the father of Rebekah or Rivka, which is beauty. And it says, These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And verse 24 says, His concubine. Concubine is Pilegesh. So Pilegesh is sort of like a married person. It's not a prostitute. But in the hierarchy of the, of the family life, there's the wife and then there's the concubine. There's the main squeeze. And then there's these other women to keep the house growing. And then her name was, this is it. This is no rumor now. This, her name was Ruma, which means raised. And he also bore, she also bore Teba or Tevak, which means massacre. I'm like, geez, these people. And then Naham means burning flames. 
And then the, the last, the other one was Tahash, right? Tahash. And then the last one is Maka. Maka means depression. So I guess after the massacre of burning flames, she's <laughs> in a depressed mode. And the Lord can actually fix all of that, put all that together. So Abraham's model of building faith through testings of Jehovah. What happened? Abraham was saved when he believed in the Ur of Chaldees. That's the place where he got saved. But Adonai didn't want him to stay there. Just like us, when we get saved, he doesn't want us to be in the same uh, place where we get saved. We have to move on in our journey. Which is the same for all of believers because God's unfailing and faithful track record of His wondrous works, we can be able to be strong in the faith. So what we got to understand is Jehovah has earned the right to be trusted completely and fully. How many of you here trust the Lord completely and fully? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. So, when the trials come, what they say? Count it all joy, right? Because the purpose of God is to bring you to the place where you ought to be, not where you are right now, right? So, His plan is to get you to this particular task. Some people it is their finances, some people is their family life, some people their work life. Whatever the case, it's an you know, individualized. Um, planning. So until then, there is still room for growth and maturity in our understanding of who God revealed Himself to be. Now, how do we grow? How do we have measured, uh, markable growth? That comes to study. The more you study, the more you can uh, guarantee you can grow. If you're not studying, on your own. Like if you go to church, if you go to Shabbat, you get one hour of study, and then you get six days and 23 hours of what? Are you going to study? Are you going to spend time with God? And then are you going to apply what you've learned? And the next thing, are you exhibiting the traits of God? Right? Even in the heat of moment, the Lord can keep us together. So true evidence of growth comes through trials. So how we handle trials shows really how completely you're trusting the Lord. And that's why we count it all joy when we come under testings and trials. For it is a test that the Lord knows that we can pass. So in language, it could be the same word for test, test and trial. But when God gives us a test, it's always the notion that we can pass the test. When Satan tempts us, he wants us to fail. So we mature and grow through trials which God has allowed for the purpose of personal growth of faith. So another thing, when we're going through these trials, he promises us, not me, not anybody else, that he will never give us more than we can handle. Do we believe that? Do we act like that when the trials come? Yeah, most times not. I mean, some people, they get gets over for like six days and they're about to blow up and go crazy. You know what I mean? 
but he does. So God gives us his word and we can study and he shows in our life his faithfulness in the lives of other believers. Do you think God has a memory? I don't think God has a memory. You know why? Because he knows everything and he's outside of time so he doesn't need to be reminded of things. So he writes scriptures so that we are reminded of his strength, of his power. Just imagine how God needed memory. Oh, how did I make um, the heart work again? He doesn't need that. He knows how the single cell of evil is formed. He knows everything in quantum physics. He doesn't have to be retaught or remembered because he's omniscient, all-knowing all the time. But what he can do is forget. He wills himself to not remember our sins. But somehow, some way, we remember our sins and we bring it up and we let our past sins buffet us and actually sometimes take control of us. But let's be like the trait of the Lord. He throws it away and never remembers it. He forgets what it is, right? He puts it on a forget table. So if you're in kindergarten, would you take a quantum physics test? <laughs> you wouldn't. They wouldn't give you, you know, what is the square root of forgiving matter. It's according to where we are at individually. So what this says is when God doesn't give us money we can handle, what does that mean of God? What kind of character does the children have? This is evidence that God is deeply aware. Now, not just surface. He knows every single thing you, you do. How is that? That's unimaginable. So most time, we don't actually give God His proper due. Man. He knows everything that you do. And everything that you think. <laughs> All the pastors always say, wow, what if we put the screen, what you're thinking about right now, about the head? You know, what's going on in there? He knows, right? So we cannot fool God. We can fool other believers, but we cannot fool God. So that is evidence that God is deeply aware of each of our spiritual lives and the testings are for our benefit. Now does God benefit from our suffering? Our testing? I would say yes. Just like how parents benefit. So we see our kids, we take them to practice, whatever, football, basketball. We see their suffering and they hit and they sprain ankle and then they end up winning. Same thing like the Lord. As He pours into His children's lives and then we achieve victories in the, in the trials, we share in them and the Lord is blessed by how we live. So the things that the Lord does, this is one quote that, uh, or an idea that we all gotta meditate on, I feel. It is what God has done in the past is a model and promise of what He can and will do in the future. So if you remember when um, 
Hagar and Ishmael was kicked out. Uh, he was the son of the flesh, and he had to get up. And that was God's will. Did God just let him go? What happened was, they were, he was dying of thirst in the desert. And what happened in the desert? The Lord came, and then behold, there's an oasis in the desert that they can drink from. So that is a pattern of what is to happen in the future. So the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness wanderings, by knowing what happened then, could strengthen their faith in the God of Israel. And what he did in the past for the fleshly son, he will definitely do in the future for his godly son, the promised son. But our God, He is so creative that He never does anything twice the same way, right? So He deals with all of us individually. We can both have the same financial problems. He'll deal with me one way and He'll deal with her another way. We can both have uh, marital problems or problems on earth, uh, at work. Me and, me and my cousin, we have the same problems. But He'll deal with us differently according to the level we're at. And that's why he says he'll never give us more than we can handle. He'll give us exactly what we can handle to get to the next level. He considers each individual circumstance and how to carry it out, how to carry out his will, just to make sure and ensure that he will not give us nothing that we cannot handle. So my um, charge to you is to ponder on how faithful God is in His Scripture. Because we know how faithful He is. He never failed in our lives, in the lives of other believers. When we pray to Him, when we see healing here, and we see restoration, we see He come through. I remember when I wasn't working, I was going to Bible college. We were broke. I mean, broke as can be. But the Lord, at every turn, provided. Down to the last $10. Oh, you guys, uh, a bank made a mistake on your bank statement, so you put $10 in your bank. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. But for me, I was like, I was feeling like Abraham, strong. My wife is like, <laughs> and then like there's so many times like I remember when I first came to Lord they said jot down all your prayers on one column and the other column you write how God was faithful and then you can track God's faithfulness and your faith will become so strong that maybe nothing would phase you nothing can phase you because you know who holds the future right? And the future for you is awesome, right? I remember once we had um, we had this five hundred dollar, five hundred thirty dollar um, Cobra bill. So it's a for Cobra. I wasn't working right in school, but I was on unemployment. I still um, could get unemployment. So, uh, well, my unemployment ran out, so I couldn't make this five hundred and thirty dollar bill which my handicapped son needed so I could get medication or he could die. You know, that's how 
carry the whole thing on. I was almost like sacrificing my son if I didn't go to school or sacrifice myself. That's what it kind of felt like. Then one strange thing happened. One of my good sisters died on Kauai. The pastor said, oh, she wanted you to play. He said, oh, can you teach too? I wasn't a pastor until they okay. I know one pastor that taught on this guy from Alaska. He said that's why he left the Lord. He was at the church as a fluke that day. And when I, he came in, he heard the message, he said, Thank you. And he came back to the Lord that day. He just was, that was the one passage in Revelations that he had issues with. So we come back to Anuli, he was a refrigeration specialist. So he said, hey brother, let's get together. Oh, we like to do I said, oh, I get kids. So, um, he said, oh, what about we go to um, Chuck E. Cheese? So we go to Chuck E. Cheese. He buys pizza for a lot of kids. And we see him at Taco Style in Japan. And he told me the story. And he said, oh, the Lord told me to give you this. I didn't think nothing of it. I gave it to my wife. And uh, hey, brother. I never seen him since. I don't know anything. Go home and see him. <laughs> was like 500 and was a little bit more than we needed. It was like 550 maybe. And he said, The Lord told me to give you this. Bro, it was just incredible. But if we remember all those things, how the Lord has come true. But I know you did this last month, but I don't think you, you, you're good for next month. I don't think you can guarantee me you will take care of me next month. Through the whole past, uh, in the past, you took care of every single problem before. But for next month's rent, I don't think you can handle that. You see our mentality, it's like, and that's real, you know what I mean? But what we gotta build is that faith and confidence, complete surrender of our own will, because when our will is out of the way, oh, the Lord can operate so easily. And then you will find that it's easy to walk with. It's not a struggle. It's like he walked with Enoch in the cool of the day. You know, in the world, and Enoch hanging out. I don't think Enoch was naked at the time because I know they had put on clothes. He made clothes made for Adam and Eve. But he'd be walking around. And that's what he did, man. You're walking with the Lord. The peace that passes all understanding side by side. And that's where the faith is built. Oh, the one that, the, the, the footprints, footprints, yeah, yes. exactly. You can carry us and then, oh, where are you? Oh, I was carrying you at the back. So he might have been carrying Enoch too in the, in the garden, I don't know. But that's what he does. When we cannot handle, we place our burdens on him, right? And that's what I like you guys understand. The more you can trust the Lord, the more you trust the Lord. Yeah? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see the victories, Lord, that you have given to Abraham Lord, because he was obedient. And we, we pray that we too, Lord, may find that complete trust in you, Lord. Unwavering, Lord. Come one day, Lord, we can still walk with you. We count everything joy. Not because pain and trials are joyful, no, because the work and the purpose that you have in the trials, Lord will teach us and show us even more greatness, your greatness. 
Father, I just pray for everyone here that they might every day meditate on your faithfulness and at the degree that they trust in you. That is my prayer, Lord. Use these people here for your glory. Show your amazing work and your hand of blessing in their lives. We love you and we praise you in Yeshua's name. And we also, Amen. So we're going to pass out the clock.